welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending August 19th, 2023. This week, Suits beats linear television. I'm Kim Hollis, digital advertising guru whose final episode of the great treadmill controversy ended with a whimper and not a bang as the original broken treadmill was taken away and the new one was installed within about two hours of time. But this didn't happen until yesterday, which means we had multiple treadmills for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, getting goofy. Unfortunately, I did not get a goofy, but I did slip my (laughs) opponent to Mickey. (laughs) 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 Also, David Mumpower, author of Behind the Ride, streaming media analyst, and wishing his lovely and apparently immortal mother the happiest of birthdays. My mother has turned 90 years old. How fantastic is that? And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Burriel, who survived four days of 100 plus degree weather. Boy, I'm glad that's over and there'll never be extreme weather ever again. Hmm. I don't even want to tell you what the temperature is here. In our deep dive this week with Hollywood on the brink of collapse, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Raul? I don't even know where to start. Hollywood's a dumpster fire right now. Court cutting is accelerating. And with cable and satellite subscriptions, the financial backbone of most studios, the massive decline in subscribers is bad news. DirecTV, which lost NFL Sunday ticket to YouTube TV this year, lost 400,000 subscribers last quarter with about 13 million total subscribers. And that decline expected to accelerate. That company is not going to be around much longer. I wonder how many people have DirecTV exclusively for Sunday Ticket and have not yet figured out that it will no longer be there. It's funny. It's very similar to the situation that Disney experienced with Hotstar and Cricket. At mm-hmm. some point, people realize they're paying for this and they're going to just cancel. Yeah, I can, I can just see it just absolutely plummeting. Like when we say we hear something early 2024, just how many <laughs> subscribers they lost once people realize, wait, there's no football here anymore. Nope, don't need this. Yeah, as far as we can tell from the data, uh, the only cable vendor, I mean, one that didn't lose subscribers during early 2023 was YouTube TV. It only gained 200,000 users, which is, you know, 3.5%. But that feels like a massive win as all the other competitors fell off a cliff. Yeah, the court cuttings happening, of course, because the studios milked their cash cows until it was dry. Cable prices kept going up because the studios kept asking for more money for their channels, the so-called carriage fees from cable companies. And consumers finally had enough. In their latest installment of The Gauge, Nielsen revealed that last month, for the first time ever, viewership of linear content dropped below 50% as streaming viewership continues to surge. Yeah, and I'll throw in something else here that caught my attention. There was a Pajiba writer who did just excellent work, did a deep dive on the entire state of cable television. And when you look at what they discovered, it was just shocking. 301 out of the top 400 shows on cable, right at 75% of the shows on cable television people watch come from just four networks, three of which are new services, which means live programming is carrying everything. You've got CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, and ESPN are all that keeps cable afloat. And as a reminder, we talked about this last week, Bob Iger has indicated that ESPN will go fully over the top by the end of 2025. 
We've described the precariousness of the situation as a house of cards on a table with somebody turning on the ceiling fan. That's where we're at with this. If one of these channels fully commits to streaming, a devastating chain reaction is going to occur, and it'll be across all of linear television. When that wind starts blowing on these cards, they're going to just scatter everywhere. This is a perilous situation now. Yeah, as we've discussed before, the studios need to make up for that lost revenue in cable and satellite carriage fees in other ways. And the primary way is probably going to be streaming. But with most studios losing boatloads of money on streaming every quarter in the vicinity of half a billion dollars every quarter, that money's not not only not getting made up, those losses are accelerating. Let's add some context that matters here. Something like Disney Plus losing $500 million while cutting costs and possessing more than 200,000 subscribers across Hulu, ESPN Plus, and Disney Plus. It's not great. I mean, $500 million is a staggering amount of money to lose in a quarter, even in the situation where they are cutting costs. But then you've got something like Peacock, which expects to lose $3 billion in a year against only 24 million subscribers. And you're looking at that and you're just thinking, how are these people not fired? Because the losses are so indefensible in their scale. So yeah, to make up for those losses, the studios do what? They're increasing the price of streaming services. Some studies show that when people cut the cord, they're not jumping to streaming. They're finding other means of entertainment. Cough, cough, TikTok cough YouTube. Don't mistake what the gauge is saying. Just because linear content has dropped below 50% doesn't mean that streaming now is above 50%. There is a delta there between streaming, which is at 38.7%, and linear, which is at 49.6%. There's an other category. That is the category that is growing at least as fast as streaming. And that other is alternate forms of entertainment, like, as I just alluded alluded to TikTok and YouTube. Studios are in trouble when user-created content is really what they're fighting against here. Yeah, the thing we should keep in mind here, when we talk about film box office and all these other things, there is this belief, well, we're eventually going to go back to the time before. And that's what I've been preaching against that is a really challenging concept for people to grasp. The way you were raised, the things you expect and believe, that's not what a coming generation has been raised as their behavior. And that's the difference here, especially if you're like, you know, let's say the MTV generation or even the start of the Internet generation you see things one way. But if you grew up with the fact that you had a second device in your hand, a small tablet or a phone or whatever that your parents used to distract you with, you don't have the same attachment to television and movies. You just like the funny clips you used to watch when you were a child. That's the behavior that we've lost. And that's why when people say things like 20% of movie business is never coming back, that's the explanation for it. And it is a real and dangerous phenomenon. So another option for the studios is to spend less on content. And really, that may be a winning strategy for them. Oh, no. We're going to have the suits conversation early this week, aren't we? (laughs) Yes, and you can't go on break yet. (laughs) The biggest story in streaming in a long time is the stunning success of a show that hasn't been on the air in four years. The NBC Universal show Suits continues its meteoric rise in the ratings. Tim will tell you more about this in a bit, but the simple truth is that it costs virtually nothing to stream the show. Netflix spends billions of dollars annually to produce new content. And what's their most popular show on Netflix? Something they probably paid a couple of million dollars to license. And the 
residuals, so the creators, the actors, the writers, the directors, the crew, are virtually non-existent because the last time those deals were negotiated, no one thought that this would actually be a big deal. I mean, this whole thing takes Tim and I back to the, the future because we were talking about this when it happened at the time. Netflix has unintentionally spent the summer of 2023 proving the genius of Bonnie Hammer. That is a former USA Network executive who is now a top-level suit at Peacock. At the time, she prioritized upbeat procedurals with likable characters during her historic tenure as the head of programming at USA Network. We've talked about her before. Words can't underscore or how great Bonnie Hammer was at her job, but she somehow looked smarter in August 2023 than she did back when USA Network was the number one cable channel for eight straight years under the moniker Characters Welcome. And that ties in to the criminal minds phenomenon that we joke about. We're always like, ooh, I can't believe these people are watching all these creepy murders over and over again. But it's not about the episodic murders in as much as people adoring the cast of Criminal Minds. They're discovering the same thing with Suits, where they're falling in love with characters that we've praised here before, Rachel, Donna, and Jessica Pearson. It's three women who would ace the Bechtel test at a time when that was really a rarity on cable television to have three strong female characters. Happy TV is in, and we've already got thousands of hours of it in the Netflix catalog and in the Hulu catalog and in the Peacock catalog, and that is all thanks to Bonnie Hammer. Right. So the studios are between a rock and a hard place. One way studios can make money is to sell off assets, chiefly those in decline. It's why Disney's Bob Iger reportedly floated the idea of selling the studio's linear networks. Still profitable, but in decline. Sell them while they're still worth something. Although those rumors have died down recently. Yeah, I think we're in the negotiation phase where it's better not to talk a lot publicly until you have something definitive. What we do know is Disney has found several interested parties with the ESPN part. And that's funny to me because when Iger started talking about selling linear television, people were like, well, the one thing Disney can't do is mess with ESPN. That's apparently the, the one that's going to change the most as we move forward because interested parties like Verizon have already said, you know what, we would love to cut a deal so that our hundreds of millions of phone users have access to live sports programming through this service. And that makes Apple go, whoa, whoa, whoa. If anybody's going to do it, it's going to be us. So now Disney has Apple and Verizon negotiating for this. Meanwhile, those other linear television assets, like let's just go ahead and do the big boy. Let's do ABC. We can also talk about Disney Channel, FX networks, these sorts of assets. There isn't the demand for those, at least not that we're hearing. Whether or not those negotiations are happening behind the scenes, we probably won't find out until after the fact. And Raul, that's not even unusual right now, is it? Right. Yeah. Paramount floated the idea of selling their cable channel BET, but called it off when they didn't get the bids they wanted. Paramount did sell off an asset. They sold off their book division, Simon & Schuster, but not to the people they wanted to sell it to and not for the price they wanted. We can't ignore this. We glossed it over last week. Paramount was going to sell Simon & Schuster to Penguin Random House for over $2 billion, but the FTC blocked the sale on anti-competitive grounds. That seems like a very very legitimate reason to block the sale. And then what did Paramount do? Paramount turned around and sold it for a half a billion dollars less to KKNR, a venture capital firm who is likely going to gut the company. And the FTC can't say anything about it because KKNR doesn't have a book division, so there's no monopolistic issues. That's really a great job, FTC. 
Yeah, the problem on the FTC side of this conversation is they can't give in to threats and fears. In other words, if Paramount had told them, well, if you do this, we're going to sell to somebody much worse, the FTC can't give in on that because then everybody else will just do that and that'll be the pattern moving forward. But in this one situation, oh my goodness, was this ever the worst case scenario for everyone involved in the discussion. Yeah, I just don't know what the right solution here is. And yet folks like the Writers Guild of America, who is still striking against Hollywood Studios, has issued a report calling Disney, Amazon and Netflix anti-competitive and calling on the federal government to block any further consolidation in the industry. Well, the feds have done a really fine job of screwing things up so far, so I'd suggest maybe they just stay out of it. I don't even know what the right or wrong plan is at this point, because what we all knew at the time was Warner Brothers Discovery should not have been allowed to move forward. And we could have avoided a lot of pain. I mean, a lot of pain, genuine incompetence, lost revenue, all these things, if that had been blocked. But who is to say that was Zaslav involved, he would not have found a darker path that would have been that much worse. And that's that's the problem with all this because of the limited controls we give the FTC and other government entities when it comes to regulating these things. That's the bottom line. Is there such a thing as a good merger? Probably not. Every time there is a merger, people lose their jobs and there's less competition in the market. But if you're a company who has an asset and you want to sell it, what's to keep you from selling it to somebody else who's not currently in the market? And what's to keep that company from screwing the asset over after the fact, whether in intentional or not. It's certainly not the intention of anyone who buys an asset to lose money at it as to how they actually profit from that asset is another question. And that takes us to the matter of Diamond Sports. This is the regional sports network that is today suing Sinclair for $1.5 billion. Wait, 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 wait. Diamond Sports, the subsidiary spinoff of Sinclair, is suing Sinclair? That's right. Diamond Sports is suing their owner. Here's a case of a bunch of cable channels, the former Fox Regional Sports Networks, or RSNs, that were surely going to collapse sooner rather than later. And Iger, who was CEO at Disney at the time, the first time, was able to dump them before that happened. In fact, they were forced to sell them because of some anti-competitive concerns when Disney had bought 20th Century Fox. Sinclair was the patsy here, buying the networks and then spinning them off under the Diamond Sports umbrella, which then promptly collapsed when cable companies started dropping the channels because no one wanted to pay the astronomical carriage fees. The only lifeline for Diamond Sports was to launch their own streaming service, but it kept getting delayed. And by the time it launched, it was too late and the company was in bankruptcy court. Now the streamers and the leagues are all saying that they'd be happy to take the streaming rights to all these teams that Diamond Sports can't pay for, but the company says that they're owed money by their parent company, but even if they got it, it would only carry them so far. Long story short, Sinclair has always been poorly run. And even for them, this was one of those mistakes that will be discussed in college business classes for years to come because it was a combination of arrogance and greed that we just haven't seen before in the corporate world, which is really saying something. But yes, Kim, a light at the end of the tunnel. The studios through the AMPTP are finally talking to the WGA and it sounds like there's progress. Even, and I can't believe this, an offer on the table to provide streaming data 
to the guilds. It'll be amazing if that materializes. Of course, the WGA says they're still far apart on a number of factors. That's what they have to say, but the hallmarks are all there. It's been 100 days. The studios have used the strike as grounds to scrap the contracts and projects they wanted to scrap. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Amazon just canceled two more series this week, one of which breaks our heart. It's peripheral. These are series they'd previously announced had been renewed. The other one is A League of Their Own. So those were shows that were coming back for a season two. Amazon has since gone, oh, gee the strike sorry and canceled them and that's like you're saying right now that has been one of the unstated but insidious goals of this whole nonsense is to clean up the books and get rid of the excesses that's right and the studios have also wrapped up their latest round of quarterly reports bragging about how much free cash flow they have if things don't get resolved now it'll actually start getting painful for the studios and wall street won't be giving them another free pass next quarter there will be serious questions about the consequences of the strike if this carries on. And I'd say the studios have also learned a valuable lesson over the last couple of weeks. They can get just as many people watching their streaming services with old shows as with new shows. Yeah, as a matter of fact, there was a study that just came out the other day that said that streaming sitcoms are complete failures compared to what we're used to from the linear network era, which means we might just see the death of the conventional sitcom as we're used to it because nobody has figured out how to adopt it on streaming yet. You're right. Let's just keep monetizing old shows. It's so much cheaper. So Hollywood may be playing nice with the guilds, even giving them bigger royalty checks and residuals for streaming. But the creation of new content is about to go right off a cliff. What I was afraid was going to happen, the studios pivoting from production to just licensing content is about to happen. If you created content in Hollywood in the past, good. The strike is likely to guarantee you fairer compensation moving forward. But good luck getting any more new work in Hollywood. Peak TV is dead. We're about to enter the era of trench TV. On that happy note, how about we talk about the box office? Okay, so looks like we might have a new number one movie because, you know, it's been several weeks for Barbie now. So uh, here comes Blue Beetle, but with 10 million on Friday, um, not great. Just enough to probably win the weekend. Warner Brothers win streak continues. Uh, yeah, technically, if you can call it that. Uh, I mean, it's not like the greatest Warner Brothers movie ever, like The Flash was, but you know. Right. Yeah. But this even throws under that in terms of the DC Extended Universe. So, yeah, it's it's worrying. You know, it was good times with Barbie and, and Oppenheimer, but that's run its course now. Uh, I mean, Barbie is still chugging along in second. Another six million on Friday, 551 million domestic to date. Just amazing. And something fun did happen. This week with Oppenheimer, it became the new top movie to never be the number one movie ever, even for a single day. This was a fun stat for us box office nerds because for, oh, I don't know, like 13 years, it was my big fat Greek wedding. And then along came Sing, which was blocked from the top spot, mainly by Star Wars Rogue One, since it was December release, had uh, some ridiculous legs and, and that took over that. And then that record held for a few years until now, thanks to Barbie, it's Oppenheimer at 277.6 million and counting. We also had something called Strays open this weekend that landed with 3.4 million on Friday. 
day. Uh, so yeah, this this is where we're headed now until we get something something good in the next few weeks. I think we're going to go back to the pattern we saw early in 2023, mm-hmm. where we have the occasional really good performance against eight or nine really mediocre to terrible performances. And this was the start of that. Even with Blue Beetle, recently tracking had been more optimistic about Blue right. Beetle. Yeah, yeah. The Thursday total of 3.3 million means that there was only 100% growth on Friday. And I know that sounds like a lot, but if you do 3.3 million on Thursday, you should do a lot more than 6.7 million on Friday. We're hopeful that this is skewing very young because it should, which means 30 million is a possibility, but it's not like a great possibility, is it, Tim? No, I'm I'm not expecting that. We've we've been somewhat surprised in, in recent weeks with weekend multipliers, but I I don't expect 30 million here. Yeah, this was supposed to be the summer of the R-rated comedy, that maybe a last gasp attempt with Jennifer Lawrence and No Hard Feelings. This weekend we have Strays, and I believe it's next week we have the premiere of Bottoms. And so far, it's not looking good. The death of the comedy seems to be upon us. Yeah, Kim was a little more optimistic on Strays than I was. This has always struck me as just a low-rent product all the way around. Bottoms is one that I thought with the marketing campaign could have done better, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of hype for it. It might just be too weird. And it also comes down to the fact that Hollywood is just horrendously sexist and always has been. So they probably figured that if Jennifer Lawrence couldn't star in something like this, the actress from The Bear probably wasn't going to anchor it. But I'm hopeful that Bottoms will surprise next weekend. If not, it's going to be a grim few weeks. But, you know, Barbie Heimer has already saved us. So we're okay. We're okay for a little bit that put some money in the bank so to speak but yeah it's we're back to this happened this is okay i mean there's a couple things that might i don't know why the equalizer 3 is getting a labor day weekend release i'm curious to see how that does in the post pandemic era but it does have a holiday weekend to help it there's a couple things in the next few months that might be surprising but it does look rather bleak and it's sad to talk about that again after we were all excited the barbenheimer juggernaut but uh, all things have to come to an end unfortunately as we're getting their slide out of theaters and in fact Barbie's headed to not streaming, but digital release September 5th. That's actually going to be an interesting one to watch because we've noticed Nielsen do some hiccups with premium video on demand content recently. I wonder if maybe Barbie may accidentally bleed over into the Nielsen charts as uh, if it does really well on PVOD. Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, it's perfectly fine at this point. You when you've made a billion dollars, you should be like, okay, we're good. We're going to head to digital and possibly streaming now. But yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if it just happens to show up because we get things we suspect might be PVOD every once in a while on the movies chart for Nielsen and the movie that was there last week is not here this week conveniently. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see, especially what happens when Barbie does reach streaming too. How does a ridiculous box office hit translate to streaming? Because we really haven't seen much of that in the last year or two. Sorry, just to jump back to something I said earlier. Oh my God, Joyride came out July 7th? Yes. Yes, we actually owned it on Voodoo already. Good Lord. There was like a fourth R-rated comedy that honestly, I was expecting to do a lot. 
there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, we were really hoping that this would be the, the summer of, of the comedy, but when No Hard Feelings kind of just landed there, it was like, oh no, uh-oh. Partially, it's comedies have had an uphill battle for a long time, and the fact that it's R-rated too immediately decreases some of your your audience, but maybe they'll they'll catch on on, on, on streaming. Who knows? I, I wonder if that's just the type of thing that people look at and go, yeah, I'll wait till that's on Netflix or whatever. And this is the chicken and the egg situation that the entire industry faces right now. After No Hard Feelings did what it did, if you're in charge of marketing strays, if you're in charge of marketing bottoms, are you going to spend a lot on commercials for that, knowing that you may just be throwing good money after bad? And that's the challenge here, because if you support something, you can sometimes get people to look at it and you can find, uh, if we go all the way back, hey, there's something about Mary where the quality justifies that and everybody loves it. And if not, you've just spent 30 million more, 50 million more on marketing for something that might not make 50 million in domestic box office. It is just a paralyzing situation for people releasing films right now. Okay, I guess we can move on to the ratings sponsored by Suits. <laughs> I'm on my break. <laughs> this is the the Suits Nielsen streaming ratings brought to you by Suits for the week of Monday, July 17th to Sunday, July 23rd, 2023. Uh, we do have a new show at the top, a returning show at the top of the original chart, Steel Magnolia. I'm sorry. Not Steel Magnolias, Sweet Magnolias. I will probably do that a whole bunch. 1.2 billion minutes for 30 episodes. The third season arrived on July 20th, 10 episodes each. And yeah, we saw it before when the second season arrived in February 2022. So yeah, it's back. So this will just be a three-day number. May go higher next week as well, because this has been a reliable performer for Netflix. Even though I couldn't tell you anything about it, other than I keep confusing it with Steel Magnolias, which is not the same thing at all. Not the same thing, but it, apparently it has that same repeat audience that'll come back for it. But yep. like you, I could not tell you the first thing about this show. Uh, that might be the most exciting thing on the ratings this week. The rest of originals is shows we have seen before, either still here or returning in one case. But so second, Lincoln Lawyer, 15 episodes, 702 million minutes. Uh, again, in two more weeks, that should shoot back up to the, the top with the second half of the second season arriving, or at least in the ratings. Third from Prime Video, Jack Ryan, 700 million minutes, 30 episodes. So this, this did get a little bit of a binge bump as it added its final episodes on last week's ratings. So now we see the entire season complete. People checked it out and maybe maybe went back and watched the first couple of seasons as well. Netflix's quarterback, we saw that arrive last week, is here in four, 648 million minutes for the eight episode football documentary that David highly recommends. Also from Prime Video, The Summer I Turned Pretty. We saw that last week as well, 493 million minutes for 11 episodes. That's good to see another show from, from Prime. I do like when we get anything that's not Netflix on these ratings, just because they, they're skewed so heavily towards them. Yeah, uh, and going back to our earlier conversation about TikTok taking over some of the views of mm -hmm. streaming services and cable services. At dinner last night, David's 20-something-year-old niece told us everything that had been happening in the summer I turned pretty because she saw it on TikTok, not because <laughs> she watched the show. 
Uh, because you watch the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't have TikTok. I don't use TikTok. Every once in a while, someone will link something that entertains me, but I am convinced it has a fairly sizable impact on success of shows. I definitely saw people talk about jury duty on it and say, you need to watch this. And that may have been one of the things that contributed into being I so big so, for, for yes. freebie. Yeah. Yep. I agree. The Witcher is in six, 480 million minutes. The final episodes of its third season will arrive on next week's ratings. So maybe a close race between Sweet Magnolias and The Witcher for the top spot. So that's probably the most interesting thing to look forward to next week. If it is not uh, the show in seventh from Disney Plus, Secret Invasion, five episodes now, one more to go, 411 million minutes. So a small gain as it gets closer to the finale. So I'm kind of curious to see where it goes next week with the entire show. Does it get that, that binge bump? Or did people just say, nope, I'm good halfway through and because this is a big flop for, for Disney and the MCU? Never rule out Marvel's inertia. Uh, there are completists out there, uh, mm-hmm. including uh, most of us. And uh, we watched it because it's Marvel, not necessarily because it's good. <laughs> Eighth from Hulu has been around for a few weeks now. The Bear, 374 million minutes, 18 episodes for two seasons. Returning in ninth, Too Hot to Handle, 350 million minutes viewed, 46 episodes. And this will stick around for a few weeks because what Netflix does with this one is they do a staggered weekly release with this. Why the reality shows and not their episodic series? I don't know. So four episodes actually arrived on July 14th and three more on the 21st. So we didn't see it with the first portion of the fifth season, but yeah, it's here with with the next batch and there will be three more to close out the season on the 28th. So yeah, we'll see it next week, probably the, the week after that too, but not a surprise that it's back once it adds another season because people watch these stupid reality shows from Netflix. We wrap up originals with Paramount Plus's Star Trek Strange New Worlds, 324 million minutes, 17 total episodes. Very glad that it's hanging around as it adds episodes week by week in its uh, second season. Yes, this one deserves it. Yes, everyone was very happy with uh, the show. Some people saw call it one of the best individual Star Trek seasons of uh, any other properties ever, which is incredibly high praise. Yeah, honestly, I think it stands up alongside other shows in general as one of the better shows on TV right now. Yep, and I hope we see it the next couple of weeks. There will be three more to go in the second season from here. Uh, the next to last one was that musical episode that I saw people absolutely loving. So yeah, I'm happy for this show. I'm happy for Paramount Plus to have a show consistently on the Nielsen ratings. And yeah, that's something that I'm always glad to see. Movies is led by, no surprise, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, 628 million minutes. As we discussed last week, it departed from Peacock after its window expired and arrived on Netflix in the middle of last week. So once it had a full week, yeah, of course, better than any number that it ever did on Peacock. Netflix will actually, at least when you turn on Netflix, you'll see, oh, Puss in Boots is available versus Mm -hmm. Peacock. You have no idea what they have. You have no idea when that will even show up on on Peacock. We were surprised too, because everyone, and even Netflix isn't excluded from this. When a theatrical release shows up, we don't know. Unless it's heavily advertised ahead of time, which is rarely the case anymore. Theatrical releases just, just kind of show up. And then depending on the studio and production company. They may switch after a couple months, which is the whole deal with Universal and its movies on Peacock. After a couple months, they go to somewhere else. In one case, it was Amazon Prime. In this case, it's Netflix. Uh, we do have a couple new ones this week. In second, they clone Tyrone, 468 million minutes. Uh, we love this trailer. I haven't had a chance to watch it though. Yep. Same with us. 
Okay. I was kind of hoping to get an opinion on it. I know there was a small amount of, of buzz around it just because of how fun that trailer for it looked. Uh, this isn't too bad, actually. 468 million minutes for you know something starring starring and aimed at African-American audiences. It does star John Boyega, Tiana Paris, and Jamie Foxx, among uh, a couple other people. But yeah, it's on the list that if I ever have time or my parent Netflix subscription again, I will look to watch this. Yep. It does have really good reviews. So yes. definitely worth a look. Yep. And it's the came on. This is just a three day number two. So we may look to see it go up next week with the full week. Bird Box Barcelona, we saw arrive last week and 360 million minutes this week. So that's that's actually down. I thought I expected to do better with, with the full week, but uh, maybe just the whole different location, you know, not a direct sequel, but you know, sequel in the same universe that turned people off from it. Uh, the Outlaws down to four, 311 million minutes. That was the top movie for a couple weekends. Uh, but something else new in fifth, Unknown Cave of Bones, 293 million minutes. This is a documentary about a paleontologist. Netflix has determined that they seem to get a lot more notice for their documentary series if they separate them off into one-off specials. So we have, uh, right now we're looking at the Unknown series. Mm -hmm. And in a few days, of course, we'll be seeing the Untold series, their series of sports documentaries. Okay, which when we saw one time counted as original series rather than, than movies. So I'm, I've speculated that they were kind of a one-hit wonder because people really wanted to see the, the Manti Teo thing. And then I think that was the only one that was really moving the needle. And we've talked about them on What's New each week as they're released as their own individual title. So I'm curious now how it's going to get counted as either a season or just individual movie-length documentaries. Yeah, the first season was, of I think, only four episodes, one of which was the Manti Teo episode. And so in the second season, rather than releasing it as a season, they're releasing them as individual one-off specials. And so Johnny Football or the steroid scandal, each of those will be one-offs that will show up in the movies charts rather than collectively in the originals charts. Oh, okay. And yeah, now I'm, as I'm checking release schedule for Netflix, yeah, The Unknown has been the title for a couple things throughout the month of July. There's something called The Lost Pyramid. There was Killer Robots, which a little too uh, on the nose right now. And then, you know, the, the one for this week, Cave of Bones did enough. And then another one the following week regarding the the James Webb telescope called Cosmic Time Machine. I'm curious to see where the, if uh, this one makes a, the chart as well. Also on from Netflix in sixth, here is Ride Along, 276 million minutes. Yes, this is the Kevin Hart and Ice Cube comedy from all the way back in 2014, which was kind of his solo comedy breakout for Kevin Hart. But yeah, because it, it came back to Netflix on the 16th. So it had a had a whole week as theoretical new content on Netflix. So here it is. Captain Underpants, the first epic movie. We saw that return last week as well, 221 million minutes. Disney's Moana, 211 million minutes in eighth. You see where that bar normally is. 65 from Netflix in ninth, 178 million minutes. And movies wraps up with Disney Plus's Encanto, a measly 147 million minutes. So yeah, a soft week for movies outside of, I guess, the top two. I mean, we've seen bigger numbers, but th th those two performances are not terrible. Acquired is 10 shows we've seen before, of course, led by Suits. As people work their way through the 136 episodes, it racks up another almost 3.9 billion minutes viewed. I hate the Nilsson rating segment. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I mean, there was what nine seasons, eight seasons to work through. So, you know, it's been a few weeks. People are probably, they're, they're probably up to, you know, maybe six <laughs> or seven. So it's going to be a few more weeks of, you know, 4 billion minutes viewed as the entire nation apparently watches suits for the first time. The march to 4 billion continues. It's, yeah. It's getting closer. I was, I was kidding when I said that a couple of weeks ago. Now, now 4 billion <laughs> looks real. <laughs> it could happen. Yeah. Yeah. During uh, Netflix's report, they actually specifically mentioned suits. And one of the things they said was according to their data most people had only gotten into season two so even though i expect that people are going to drop this i also think that there's another phenomenon of hey have you seen this show suits that no one had ever heard of the nine years <laughs> it was on cable television yeah it's pretty good so here we are bonnie hammer always wins mm-hmm. and you know what if you ask people hey remember when usa had shows like psych and monk and burn notice which apparently someone pointed out was getting advertised on like the main page of netflix what else did they have that last a few seasons royal pains and people go oh yeah those shows were, were were good i remember that you talk about that era that late 2000s early 2010s era of these usa shows and people were like yeah those shows were, were really good I, re- I remember that and then it turns out that they hey, did people actually really want that do we want to go back to that era as we see a show like suits just take over streaming out of nowhere people want a show with they want to show with characters they want to show with they can get attached to over multiple seasons rather than a new streaming show that is expensive to make looks amazing but will only give us you know maybe 20 episodes over the course of four years and here's the other thing about it we're not going to see this again for a while because under the netflix model nothing gets renewed beyond i mean really five seasons at this point is a miracle and that cuts the amount of connection people have with the characters and that's what suits is that's what psych was that's what monk was people loved those characters so much they were invested and even with criminal minds which i mentioned earlier it's not about the procedural in as much as it's about those scenes where the people you like are interacting for a two or three minute scene and then you can go back to doing your laundry this is the type of television people are saying they want and we'll see whether or not streamers actually pay attention to the lesson they should hear as opposed to the other lesson the dark one role mentioned which is why are we paying for this when we can just buy existing stuff <laughs> i'm hurt that uh, you guys didn't mention white collar Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's Hulu that's pushing Burn Notice, which uh, evidently was a series about Michael Byrne and Fiona Notice and their friend Bruce Campbell. <laughs> but Tim and keep... I never laugh at that joke. Never. <laughs> that that's was right. marvelous. I, for the first yeah. several, I was very excited that this was coming because I am the world's biggest Bruce Campbell fan, but I couldn't remember what it was called. So I just called it burn something burn. <laughs> so it's forever burn something in my mind. Let's keep in mind that Peacock has had suits for years now and hasn't been able to market it properly. Even when they do try to market something properly, like The Office, they just do not get the eyeballs. The fact of the matter is that the way Netflix exists, people first turn on Netflix and then find something to watch rather than people deciding what they're going to watch and then finding out what streamer is on. That's why Netflix works. This is the second straight week where we've accidentally had a main story break out in the Nielsen streaming ratings, but there's a reason for that. And it applies here as well. We discussed this earlier on when we were talking about the various behaviors. Peacock is losing $750 million a quarter, even though it has control of all 
all of Bonnie Hammer's shows. What's the difference between Peacock and between Netflix? This is actually the competitive advantage Netflix has over every other streaming company. That is personalization. Netflix has figured out ways to identify things that people like and then direct target them one-to-one. It is the conversation I had recently on a different topic, but the catchphrase is nothing is one size fits all. Everything should be one size fits one. Netflix is finding a way to make four billion minutes worth of people think that Suits is the perfect show for them to watch this summer. And it's remarkable. And it's that much more stunning when you realize Peacock could have been doing this all along and people would only have to pay a dollar a month to watch it. And yet they still wouldn't. Yeah, Netflix has the benefit of them just being the 900-pound gorilla because they've been around for so long now in terms of streaming. It's not like all these services started at the same time. It's just everyone else came after the fact. So people are still like, wait, what's, we joke about it, but people are still like, what's Peacock? If they would advertise properly, hey, look, remember all those shows you loved? We still have them. That might work. And I think they need to lean into that. And that that also goes for, say, Paramount Plus as well. But they're learning all the wrong lessons, which is just typical. Uh, But yeah, it's... It's been a not an exciting week. I mean, it's just suits and then everything else. We would be extolling the virtues of Bluey crossing a billion minutes again if it wasn't for this stupid suits show. But yeah, there you have it. That's the suits ratings featuring suits. And we'll see what happens next week. All right. As always, we close out the week with what's been keeping us busy. And I have been reading the second book in the Silo series. It's called Shift. It's kind of interesting in that it mostly takes place place away from the characters in the first book, but there is a little bit of overlap. I think it's really good. I am interested to see what happens in book three. There have been a lot of connections made, and now I just kind of want to see it all pulled together. So I'm sure I will be talking about that one once I get there, but I definitely so far recommend the Silo series. And maybe if you don't want to read, you can just catch up on it on Apple TV Plus with the streaming series. Tim, how about you? Oh, I'm excited to talk about this. I got to play in a release event for Lorcana, which is the new trading card game featuring Disney IP because, you know, Disney didn't have enough money. Lucky, Uh, lucky, lucky you. Yeah, this has been hyped for a while and I was curious to how it plays. It's pretty simple compared to, say, you know, Magic, which I'm I'm used to because there's no interaction when it's not your turn, essentially, which is fine. That's the majority of card games. You're playing famous, well-known, and maybe slightly more obscure Disney characters and they all have either one, two, or three uh, lore is what it's called. And your job is to get 20 lore before your opponent does. So you exert them or tap them in magic parlance to get that many lore. But then you also want to stop your opponent from doing the same thing. So each character has, of course, a, uh, I forget the exact terms, but a, a strength and an endurance, I think. So it's like, you know, how much damage it deals to the other character and then uh, how much damage it can take. And if a opponent's character is exerted because they went on the quest to collect lore, they can be challenged is the term. And then there's, if there's enough damage dealt to that character, then we don't kill characters in Disney. So they're called banished when they leave play. So the strategy involved is, do I collect the lore or do I make sure that my opponent can't? The resource to play all the characters is called Ink and it is pretty clever. It's basically, you're taking a card from your hand and revealing it, placing it face down. And then it's just Ink for the rest of the game. It's not a card anymore, but some cards can't be played on that. And it's, there's an indicator on the 
card, whether it can or can't. So when constructing your deck, it's important to make sure, oh, okay, I need this so many cards that can be used as this resource to make sure that I have enough to play actually the cards I want to play. So that's pretty clever. It plays pretty well. It was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. Then there's different strategies among the different colors that are available. Hopefully it has some staying power. I do think there is hopefully long-term planning because this is mainly classic Disney characters and there are a lot of things that they can tap into. Like there's no, like the first thing that jumped out at me is like, okay, where's all the Pixar characters? It's all classic Disney right now. No, no say, no Toy Story, no cars, anything like that. And I can absolutely assume that that's, they're saving that for future sets. It's a lot of fun. It will be massively available, hopefully within the next few weeks. The distribution was possibly bungled or possibly limited on purpose because, you know, cards were going for like way too much money. Initially, I think they gave some packs and, and boxes out at conventions and whatnot, but this is the first time it's been available. So if you're interested in it, give it a few weeks. And then I think you'll find cards pretty much everywhere for not obscene prices. But yeah, it's worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. And yes, Kim, I did click the deck that had Stitch just so that you would be happy about that. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> Raul, how about you? So I had an opportunity this week to watch Lily Topples the World on Max. It's about Lily Hevish or Hevish 5 on YouTube, the most famous domino artist in the world. And you might say, I don't know any domino artist, but trust me, if you've seen any video on the internet in the last five years or so, you've probably seen a whole lot of dominoes getting toppled over. And that was probably Lily Hevish who put that together. This is a really great feel-good documentary. It won the Grand Jury Prize for Best Documentary at South by Southwest in 2021 and was picked up for streaming by Discovery Plus at that time. I knew eventually with the merger between Warner Brothers and Discovery that this documentary would eventually become available for streaming on Max. After the streaming services came together, I went looking for it. It's deserving of all the praise it's gotten. It's 91% fresh at Rotten Tomatoes. It just makes you feel good. This is about a girl who grew up stacking dominoes and knocking them over and became famous for it. The arc relates to Lily working with toy companies to find a partner to put out her own branded version of stacking dominoes. Throughout the documentary, you see all the projects she's been working on for a couple of years. She meets a number of celebrities, Katy Perry, Will Smith, Jimmy Fallon. There's a segment where she goes to New York City and spends a week stacking dominoes at Casey Neistat's studio in New York City. She's got great interactions with her friends, great interactions with other domino artists who oftentimes work with her on projects. It's just a really pleasant documentary that I highly recommend. I suggest everyone watch it. All right. Thanks, Raul. And David, how about you? Yeah, we haven't had a lot of free time this week, but uh, while I've been working, I have had the same thing on in the background the whole time. And that is the Adult Swim channel on YouTube has been airing several recent seasons of Venture Brothers in the lead up to the final movie, which technically comes out on September 1st, although it's available to buy on Vudu and I've already watched it. It's solid. It's probably not as good as some past Venture Brothers stories, but that's a nitpick. Venture Brothers is one of the most imaginative and ridiculous programs ever, and it somehow lambastes and celebrates pop culture all the time in the best possible ways. The Doctor Strange knockoffs, the weird Southern attorneys that happen to be heads shooting out of the midsections of other guys and Colonel Sanders' court outfits. It's just an amazing program in every way, and I love it. 
I absolutely love it. I'm going to miss it. It's annoying to me that it's ending because it's the same for me as with Archer. No animated show should ever end. I understand if you want to put something on a five or 10 minute break, but you should never say this is it for something because we don't live in that world anymore. Storytelling always moves forward. I'm not ready for Venture Brothers to end. And some of the resolutions for Venture Brothers are frankly kind of weird, but it's such a fun show. I love it. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Venture Brothers. I would argue that maybe some of the references and parodies are very subtle and nuanced. It is essentially a parody of the Johnny Quest cartoons of the 1960s. What it amounts to is what would happen once Johnny Quest grew up. But they toss in a number of other parodies in there, including numerous references to 80s cartoon series like G.I. Joe and Mask and others you've probably never heard of. And I think maybe it was just a little too meta for people. The the series never really seemed to find its footing. Its season orders kept getting cut. And eventually, after a few years, it essentially got canceled. So the fact that we're getting a movie now to wrap up the Venture Brothers narrative is a great thing. And I suspect, as I believe David does, that, you know, in another four or five years, maybe we come back to the Venture Brothers again. There's no reason that we can't. It's just an animated series in the same way that we've come back to others like Futurama. But for right now, it looks like this upcoming Venture Brothers movie that is available on digital right now, but will be available on Max sometime in the fall is going to be it for a while. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon at Patreon.com slash streaming void. Be sure to watch for us again next week.